Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I'm a mother, an author, and an entrepreneur who is committed to and curious about living a life that is always evolving. This is a lifestyle podcast covering health, both body and mind, self-care, why it is a necessity, and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption, and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship, and more. This podcast is a place and a community for people who are willing to do the hard work of growth, who want the tools and inspiration to step into it, and who want to grow each and every day of their lives. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Their stories move me and will move you to cultivate more strength and clarity during every step of your day. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for spending time with me at this very special place in my life over here at the Going Beyond podcast. Hey guys, tickets for our next live podcast event are now on sale. This live recording and event experience will be held on February 13th here in NYC with networking and experiences from 6 to 7 p.m. with our recording starting at 7 and going to about 8 p.m. We're dissecting and analyzing a culture built on our stress and reimagining with experts and visionaries in the empowerment and wellness field, how to live our lives differently. This conversation and the women who will be part of it will be next level. We're welcoming Ra Goddess, entrepreneurial soul coach, author, founder, and CEO of Move the Crowd, Leah Avellino, relational psychotherapist and director of Head and Heart at The Well, Freya Dobson, co-founder of Treaty CBD, and Jennifer Swartley, head of marketing at Journey Live Meditation. And of course, I, Randy Zinn, will guide and moderate the discussion. Head over to beyondmom.com to the events page to get your ticket. We're also offering a special discount for groups of three or more. So think about attending, maybe with your colleagues, your best friends, whomever welcomes an inspiring and innovation experience that you really want to share the evening with. Who do you want to bring? Any questions? Send us a message and we will happily give the info you need. We can't wait to see you there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to be with you today, as I always am. Today is going to be an exceptional conversation with an exceptional woman who it turns out I have several connections with. We are New Yorkers and we're out there kind of swirling around the world of motherhood and entrepreneurship and community and definitely advocacy for women. We come together via our mutual friend, Alexis Brad Cutler, who's also been a guest on this podcast and definitely one of our all-time favorite human beings. So I always find that when a great friend introduces you to one of their great friends, usually that person will become your great friend. So today's interview, I feel all the feels around. I'm joined by Adrienne Wright. And she is the founder and CEO of Rosie, a boutique storytelling agency for nonprofit organizations, for people, and for brands who are doing good in the world. I'm very excited to learn more about this platform and this agency that she's creating, which is no small feat. Her portfolio includes She Should Run, 
the Time's Up campaign, Parent Child Plus, it looks like, Kalugo, Air Liquid, Change.org, Generation Citizen, Get Schooled, and Every Town for Gun Safety, to name a few. She's also the co-founder of I Will Not Be Quiet, a community group that creates a sacred space for women to learn about the political and social issues that impact their lives. Super important. I want to know more about it. So Adrienne is a passionate advocate for gender equality and how we can empower one another to close the gender gap. Prior to founding Rosie, Adrienne spent over a decade developing signature multi-channel communications programs from the ground up, which is probably why she's able to create an agency. (laughs) Her career reflects her diverse experiences. She's been part of Looks like MTV programming, building Venmo's cult following to millennials, and, and, and. Adrian lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her two-year-old daughter, Lily. So I'm really looking forward to getting to know Adrienne today because we have, it seems like, some really major values in common. We've got the mutual friend thing. We've got the New York thing. We've got the mom thing. So there's going to be a lot of good conversation today. And so I'll say hi to Adrienne now. Hi, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so great. It's so nice to be connected and to be here today. I know. I was just, we were just reflecting before we actually hit the record button that I had actually stumbled upon Adrienne and her company Rosie on Instagram and then Alexis connected us. So kind of cool to just sort of see that Well, maybe social media can also work for us because I'm seeing things that I want to (laughs) see. It's kismet, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, like a lot of people that I talk to who are in the world of empowerment and positivity, they say make sure that what you're consuming on social media is of value to you. And so what you do is definitely a value, so I'm glad I was seeing it. Well, I'm so glad you've kind of been on my radar for a while, Randy. So it's been so great to connect. Yes. I'm really excited to get to know you today. For those of you that are listeners of this podcast on the regular, you know that I really like to talk to women who are doing edgier work and who have something unique to share and to inspire the listeners with. You know, there's a lot of good work being done out there right now, especially by women. And it's very, very easy to feel bogged down by a lot of negative media, by a lot of pretty upsetting things happening in the world. There's a lot of violence. It's hard to digest. And the only thing that I can think of that's really the antidote to all of that is conversations like the one I know we're about to have, which is, all right, how are we doing the work that puts things into a different direction? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so I guess let's just start with your story. I mean, you have this really interesting background in media, but your commitment is the empowerment of women and of voices rising. So let's just go. Tell us about this. Yeah. So Randy, before I had my daughter, Lily, who is two and a half now, before I came to New York City, I thought that the only way up was through the corporate ladder. And at a very, very young age, I grew up listening to these really incredible stories from my dad. He grew up in the Philippines without anything. Always had this fire in his spirit to do good for others, even if that meant, you know, 
going really to bat for them. He led the biggest student protest in the Philippines where he was you know, really trying to shine light on the corruption there and advocate for the people who are hungry and who are poor. And so at a very, very young age, he would talk to me about these stories. He would tell me about the people, the friends that he lost during that protest. And he would show me the wounds that he had, like, you know, stab wounds and this mark that he would have on his head where he was hit with a baton by a police officer. And those memories, you know, they really stick with you as a child. So he came to the States on political asylum and he landed here actually in New York City. And he built himself up this wonderful career and sent his brothers and sisters to college. And he was like the epitome of the American dream. And I wanted to be like him. So at this very young age, I just, I learned the importance of what it means to help someone in need and what it means to advocate for other people who are suffering and don't have a voice to ask for an advocate. But at the same time, you know, I think having immigrant parents who did everything that they could for me and my sisters and to have a life here, you know, you kind of grow up with this pressure to do well and to make your parents proud. Mm. And so I, you know, kind of became obsessed with the idea of climbing the corporate ladder, climb mm. as high as I could, get to that corner office. And then if I got there, then maybe I could actually have the power, quote unquote, to change the world. So I did just that. There was no glass ceiling in my mind. I just did. And so I started as a PR assistant at MTV and then eventually climbed the ranks to oversee communications to some really interesting brands like Cartago and Venmo, like you had mentioned. And my mom used to tell me when I was growing up that whatever you do in this world, contribute to society. And even if that meant working on television programs that made people laugh and made them escape from their struggles in the day and could get them entertained, or if it was you know, a company like Venmo that's like, working to help people exchange money easily. All of that is very, very different, right? But the connector here is that they're all trying to make people's lives easier. And that was something that I was like, okay, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, had an incredible time, traveled around the world, just had a blast in my 20s. And even though all of this was incredible and I was having the time of my life, I was just so exhausted. And I think when you're in your 20s, like you can take it. It's yeah. fine. That kind of drives you. <laughs> and, you then, New York. <laughs> and then, and then you get older. <laughs> you know, I was pushing myself, and you know, part of it was passion, and part of it was like just sheer willpower, and, and part of it was just like complete, you know, expectation. I thought this was what I was supposed to do. I think it's also when you live in New York City and you see other people buzzing around, you're like, oh, this is what everybody else is doing. Too. Everybody's working hard and everybody's paying their dues. But when I got pregnant with my daughter Lily, just like my whole world just changed. I was working at the startup and I was really trying to prove that I'm no different. I'm pregnant, but I'm still doing the work and I can still bring it. And don't you dare take my work away from me. (laughs) And I really pushed myself. And then one day I came home from a work trip and I was so dehydrated. I was so exhausted and I fell. Mm. I just fainted on the steps of our brownstone apartment that we were living at right on my belly. Mm. And there are things that will never you know, prepare you for that. And my life changed in ways I never thought it would ever change. So when that happened, you know, I was alone and my husband was out of town. So I was able to get a cab and 
go all the way up to the Upper East Side. Don't know why I chose the furthest hospital to get to. And then fortunately, after two weeks of a hospital stay, I was able to go on strict bed rest for about five weeks. Wow. That was the max that I could go. And I ended up delivering my daughter nine weeks early. Wow. Yeah. Talk was- about <laughs> the universe knocking at your door. Seriously. Whoa. Seriously. My daughter was in the NICU for six weeks, which was an incredibly excruciating time, as you can imagine. And not to mention that on top of that, I lost my job. When I was at the top of my game in my career, and I lost my job. And it was the holidays. It was Lily's first Christmas. And I had this glaring NICU bill of thousands and thousands of dollars. And I had to make money. So I started consulting, you know, I started consulting and I can't talk too much about that, the layoff in itself. But what was really interesting to me was that when I became a mother and I got laid off, it was really a shock to the system of just how I was being treated you know, I was exploring other positions and I felt like I knew what I wanted. I wanted to work at these companies that were really doing good, that were really socially conscious. And I knew I wanted to be around that good energy and be around the good work and do the things that I've always wanted to do. But when I started interviewing at these companies, at these very well-respected companies, Brandy, it was really crazy just how different, like I was being spoken to when I revealed that I had a child. You know, you go through these many, many rounds of interviews and, you know, you get chatty, you know, you get to know the people and they would talk about their kids and I would, you know, talk about my daughter and that's when the conversation would come to a halt. We would sort of have this like silent moment of discussion where they would be looking at me like, how is this lady interviewing with, you know, a five month old at home? And I would look back at them with this straight face, like, so what? (laughs) And some roundabout way they would ask if I was ready to take on this sort of work you know, if I'd be willing to travel, stay at work later, if there is an emergency. It was like after all this interview wooing, after all this time of proving my worth and almost getting the job, they no longer saw me as committed because I was a mother. And I started realizing that this was a detriment in these interviews, sharing that personal part of my life. And I really struggled with that because that's me. Your work and your personal life are embedded into each other. You can't ignore one. So eventually I said, you're wasting my time and I'm going to build my own path and it's not going to include you. Next. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like just the story up to this point, because I know now there's like so much more to tell, but I mean, just to reflect on... First of all, interesting to hear that your roots from your family are so focused on change making, mm-hmm. which I really think is a beautiful foundation for anyone to have, but also that interesting reflection of what success means, both in terms of what our parents, our families teach us, and then kind of what we internalize and sort of turn that into, because part of it is them and part of it is just whatever we do with it. And then so fascinating, like when I said to you, when you fell, which is a terrible story, how the universe was just literally knocking on your door. I mean, I kind of like, and your story is like very clear communication to you about like, this isn't working anymore. Stop the train. And then all these jobs not working out because you're basically being disrespected for being the woman that you are. And now what? It's incredible what we go through as women of pushing ourselves and trying to form to societal expectations when there are so many signs here that this is not working. Yeah. And it took becoming a mother to understand that. 
Yeah. And yeah. to own it. Yeah. To have the yeah. power to say no more and feel confident in that for the first time in my life. And to take all the skills that you developed, all the talents you had, all the knowledge you had, and realize that you don't need that glass building and that hierarchy and that corner office to utilize that and put that into something. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting because after this happened and I started consulting, I consulted for about two years. I felt like you know, for the first time I was doing what I was supposed to do. Like, this is my calling. This is what I always wanted. But there was still this slice of doubt in me. It was, you know, is this stable? Am I being a good mom by like being in this unstable consulting position? Is it more stable to go work at a company? Am I a better mom by doing that? How does look and can I actually do this? And literally one day I just kind of woke up and I said, yes, I can. Well, what does it feel like You started this statement out by saying, for the first time, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. What does that feel like? Like someone's just set you free. But it's also like, wow, I can really get to know myself for the first time. I've been playing this part of being perfect. And I thought it was so great that Brushma Sajani, you had on your podcast, I'm a huge fan of hers. She talks so much about being brave and not perfect. And, you know, growing up, like, you know, that aligns with me so much is that I tried so hard to fit into this bubble that if I did this, this will open this door. And if I did that, that will open another door. It was so methodical and strategic. <laughs> and life just does not work that way. No. Life is not a strategy. No. So it's been a really interesting experience. I launched Rosie this past July with a few clients under my belt. And Rosie is a storytelling agency for people, nonprofits, and brands doing good in the world. And now about six months into it, you know, I feel like very certain about our mission and what we're set out to do. And when I look at what's happening in our world, I feel it every day. As much as we're doing what we're doing in our everyday lives, like the facts still remain the same that currently immigrants are at detainment camps even though the media has stopped sharing their stories. Right now, we're witnessing for the very first time how hard it is for a woman of color to run for office. And the administration has cut back food stamps once again, and it's making the holidays so much more difficult for families who already have so little. And so this constant kind of drumbeat horrors, it makes it very easy to feel despair, right? It makes it very easy to say, I can't no more. It's too much for my own self-care or to feel completely numb. But Rosie has kind of been my small way of fighting against that. Mm. And I launched the company to help people be the change that they want to see and to really amplify the good that people are doing by shining a light on the work that they're doing, even when the world looks so dark. And these are kind of like the unsung heroes. And if you pay attention, if you pay very close attention, whether you're on the subway and you're listening to your pods or you're at work in New York City or you're walking down the streets, they are everywhere. There are so many people doing good and they're just waiting for their stories to be told. Definitely. So my perspective is that if we focus on the good and we come alongside the people we're actually bringing into existence, you can actually see past that gridlock of problems and actually focus on solutions. And that is what drives me. So two questions. One, tell us about the choice of the name Rosie. Very curious about that. And then two, 
Sometimes I feel like when you're a practitioner of creating something like this, like the best way to give us a sense of what you do is to give us like a taste of a recent client or a recent project that you've worked on that's been really meaningful. So tell us about Rosie and tell us about like a favorite project that really exemplifies the work you feel you're doing in the world. Yeah. So Rosie has two meanings. First meaning is that Rosie is a name that's been passed down my family for eight generations. And I actually come from a pretty long line of human rights activists. It didn't start with my father. It actually started with women. And so it's a nod to them. And the second meaning to it is that it's a mindset. It's how you look at how you want to build the world you want to live in. So rather than focusing on all the sadness that's happening in the world, focusing on the people who are actually doing good. And when you see that, it's easier for you to understand how you can plug in and be the change that you want to see. So looking through rose-colored glasses. That's exactly what I thought when I saw the name. And then when I saw your Instagram feed and your choice of colors, it made me feel like I'm seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. So you're communicating efficiently. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. So talking about my work specifically, so all of my clients use Rosie's services for many, many different things. But I think that the through line here is that they're all trying to focus on their core narrative. How can we get people to understand that Putting women in leadership positions that affect the most change, i.e. in office, will get us further to make gender equality a reality in our lifetime. So one of my clients is She Should Run, and She Should Run focuses kind of at the top of the martini glass. So before women even decide that they want to run for office, they might not even know, yet they have the skill set to. She Should Run comes in and encourages them. Research shows that when women and men run, women win at the same rate as men. The disconnect here is that they're not encouraged and they don't have the resources to plug in and do that. And so most recently, She Should Run launched a, a campaign of roll call. And this was really a call to action in response to the World Economic Forum stating that we have 208 more years until the United States reaches gender equality. What does that mean? That means that my daughter, my children, my children's children will never understand what it means to get paid the same rate as as a man. We'll never really get the reproductive rights that they deserve as their basic human need. That is appalling, right? And so what She Should One was trying to do with this program was to help people understand that it's not about just getting women into office. It is about understanding what our personal contribution is as a functioning member of our democracy to build the world that we want to live in. So you might want to take part in this whole fight for gender equality, but you might not want to run for office. So what skills do you have and what talent has been bestowed on you that can contribute to this change? Are you an investor? Are you a collaborator? Are you a connector? 
how can we leverage that skill set? So they worked with Rosie to help launch this program to develop partnerships with communities, with the press, with influencers, to help them understand, one, why this is important, why collective action is so important, and what can really come from it if we can all actually contribute in some small way that is so aligned with what our strengths are. So the program in itself wasn't just about rallying people together, but it was really kind of helping them understand like what skill set can you contribute and in in what way and really kind of giving them their own kind of like customized strategy of how they can be the change they want to see. You all know that I'm all about supporting women and building community. I recently started listening to a podcast that I want my listeners to know about. It's called the Entrepreneista Podcast. Every week on the Entrepreneista Podcast, your co-hosts Stephanie Carton and Courtney Spritzer, co-CEOs of Socialfly, speak with an inspiring entrepreneista about how they built and scaled their business, embraced failure, and celebrated their successes. They get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss, and spoiler alert, it might not be as glamorous as it looks on Instagram. You'll hear the stories from some of the top female-led brands, including Glam Squad, Beach Waver, Big by Melissa, and Kopari Beauty. Subscribe to the Entrepreneurista Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or sign up to get episodes straight to your email inbox at entrepreneurista.podcast.com. You can also follow the Entrepreneurista's on Instagram for daily business inspiration at Entrepreneurista's. That's, and I'm going to spell it out for you, E-N-T-R-E-P-R-E-N-I-S-T-A-S on Instagram. Consider this the most fun business meeting you'll ever have. And so what does a day in the life of Rosie look like? Like, do you have a small staff? Do you have an office? Like, what is the world like that you're shaping at Rosie? It changes every single day. (laughs) So it kind of varies between like working from home to working at the wings and working at a few of the other co-working spots. I am someone who thrives on the energy in the place that I'm at. And so I'm always kind of skipping around town and working from different places. I have a few contractors who work with me, which has been pretty exciting. Everyone who I've worked with has actually worked with me when I was in-house. They were part of my team. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fun because when you go back to those days and, you know, new part ways in your professional careers, you're like, man, I wish I could work with them again. They were so amazing. And now I have the opportunity to kind of build my dream team again and bring those people back in together to do social good. So all of this work really kind of varies. I think what's really what is top of mind for me as I start my week is really trying to, I think what everybody tries to do is to find balance within the hours. (laughs) Tell us about that, Adrian. How do we find balance? Well, first off, I feel like we need to stop challenging ourselves to find it. I mean, how often do we find ourselves saying that and creating pressure? The most important thing that I've learned through this is not about balance. It's about having a strategy. How you plan your work is sort of how I plan my life. And we also need to understand that there's no traditional work day for working moms, particularly for entrepreneurs, and that's okay. We have to define it for ourselves. 
even better. Yeah. I'm often working around my daughter's schedule. And even though I'm the founder and CEO of Rosie, I'm still considered the one in our household as like the one with the flexible job, <laughs> quote unquote, because my husband works from an office in New Jersey. But I've taken that to understand like how to create a better work day and even more so a smarter work day. I often say that motherhood has become my greatest productivity hack. I think as moms, we tend to focus our energy on what makes us feel good because we don't have the time to focus on the BS and the inefficiencies that life tends to bring us. So for work, this means advanced planning on Sunday mornings where I find that I'm the most productive. Finding that quiet morning before everyone is awake. I've gotten very used to 5 a.m. wake up calls to take a look at the week ahead and check in with myself. I really have an honest reckoning about how I work best and how I don't work best. And that changes every so often. But what I found to be key is that planning my week so that they flow with my productivity levels. So if that means waking up at 5 a.m. to write and not taking meetings or calls on Tuesdays, because that's where I feel like I can do my most neediest work or dedicating Wednesday mornings to kind of have a mini rest and recharge because I've noticed that Wednesday mornings, I'm like, oh, is it Friday yet? Is it the end of the week? And that's when I get burnt out. So just being very, very aware and practicing mindfulness to understand like where your energy levels are at and leaning into when you feel like you're at your greatest and leaning into other people who can help support you when you might feel like you're at your lowest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you're describing as kind of this new wave of mindfulness, I think, for the woman who is trying, wanting to be productive and wanting to be a mother and wanting to, quote, you know, have it all, do it all. It's impossible to do it all and have it all every single day. But if you're honest and you're able to create spaces where you know, maybe you wouldn't have originally said, oh, I want to wake up at 5 a.m., but the rewards that you get for creating that time. I love that idea of Wednesday morning as kind of like the reset in the middle of the week and realizing that you need to give that to yourself. That's incredibly powerful. And I mean, I think what you're talking about is that next level of mindfulness because to be able to understand your own rhythm and your own needs in all the parts of your life it really isn't until we give ourselves permission to actually sit with that and see it and then create the time to do it that we can actually benefit from it. Oh yeah. You know, I think that that's so spot on, Randy. I feel like there's this quote that's been really stuck with me lately. It's by Annie Dillard that how we live our days is how we live our lives. Yes. And you really have to think about like how you're spending your time. And, you know, I'm, you know, totally to blame sometimes where I get very caught into the work and I have to actually set reminders for myself, like a meeting, to take a break, to take a walk. But what I think that has been very helpful for me lately is the first thing that I do when I wake up is that I lay on the floor, I turn on my timer, and I spend three minutes just thinking about I have nowhere that I need to be right now. And really kind of being aware of like what my energy is and what my body's telling me. And if it's saying I need to drink a glass of water, I drink a glass of water. But you get so focused on everything that's happening, all the chaos of the world and, you know, the challenging times of trying to be everything for everyone, be everywhere for everything, that sometimes you ignore those voices in your head of what you really need. 
Other thing that I really want to bring to light and that I see you expressing without you know, saying it is that when you're a person of service to other people, there is an absolute necessity to be of service to yourself. And, you know, we have all these metaphors for it, like the whole like airplane thing and, you know, air for yourself before others. But I kind of see it in even in a different way. It's really like if you are in the world and you actually want to make it better, like you actually first need to support yourself. Like there's, that is a finite direction. If you're going to service others in the world without servicing yourself, like the infinite occurs when you're able to be in that cycle of self-care and of listening into your body and feeling what the next step is every single day. And that's where it comes back into that quote, like how you live each day is how you live your life. I think I've only somewhat recently learned how to do this. Even, I think it comes in iterations, you know, the realities of it and the need for it comes in iterations. For myself, I think iterations have come with having you know one child and then two children. Mm-hmm. It's come with iterations of business, both building and letting go. And it's come also even just in times of family turmoil and emotional issues and things that come up where you're like, okay, time to power down, time mm-hmm. to slow down. Even like my, I mean, as we're recording this, we're heading into the holiday season and, you know, we'll probably hear this episode after the holiday season, (laughs) but noting the, I think everybody can like gain something from this concept. I'm playing with this idea that whenever the holidays come and there's downtime and we all go through periods where there's like that availability of downtime. And I say, okay, during my downtime, I need to accomplish A, B, and C. And I put a whole bunch of pressure on myself to accomplish A, B, and C. And it usually has to do with organizing something or studying something or like elevating something. And what happens then is that I remove the ability to actually just be with myself, hear myself, (laughs) be with my family, be creative and sort of sit in that space. And in that space is so often where like really interesting life insights and understandings arise. So sometimes it's also like the letting go of the productivity idea in certain spaces to allow for a deeper personal inspiration to arise. Yeah. What do you feel like has been helpful for you to... I can't think of a better word, but trigger that power down period for you. Like how have I been able to give myself permission to do that? Yeah. For me, it's like, I actually set like alerts Uh (laughs) on my phone and like minimize that window on your computer walk, you know, it's like I have a Fitbit like scheduled in my body. (laughs) But how about you? Well, I don't do that. I don't set the timer exactly. I mean, we all respond differently to different things. So I love that idea and I love that you respond to it. I think I tend to pay attention to sort of like cycles and I've pulled a lot of insights from a lot of different amazing thinkers in my life that I feel like I've had the privilege to either talk to on this podcast or read their books or just consider them friends and hear what they have to say. I think if we're able to pay attention to the rhythm of the seasons, for sure, 
also as women, our cycles. I think that we're able to actually take note of when our body is telling us that it's time to power down. Mm -hmm. So my friend Kate Northrup, who also happens to be part of my mastermind cohort, so I'm really like getting to know her more, and I also did have her on the podcast. She wrote a book called Do Less, and it's all about this paying attention to your cycle, the cycle of the seasons, the rhythm of femininity and womanhood, and then also within that power down, how to find better productivity. Mm. And it's kind of helped me just think about, you know, let's face it, when we have our period, as an example, we're a little bit lazier and we definitely want to slow it down a little bit and just like cozy up in bed and read a book and allowing that to be okay. And allowing, you know, whatever goodness comes from that space, that's one example of something that I notice uh, really helps me. The other would be like if it comes to a season. So in the summertime, my family goes up to the Hudson Valley. It's where I'm from. And though I work like all the time, <laughs> because when you work for yourself or you have any kind of thing in your life, you know, you could literally work all the time. I definitely use that change of environment as a prompt for some different habits. And this past summer, I took a very quiet summer. I made meditation a really big priority. I meditated in the morning early and I meditated in the evening, like out on our screen patio and allowed that meditation practice to kind of show me some truths about what was going on in myself Mm -hmm. emotionally. And it happened. It was very natural. And so I think if we can just like, ask ourselves to pay a little bit better attention to the rhythms that's going on. And we're kind of, as you're saying, sort of brave enough to choose ourselves, mm-hmm. then we can actually start doing those things, making those choices. You know, I think a lot of the madness that we experience is largely self-imposed. It's not that our culture isn't crazy. It is. It will dominate you. It wants to dominate you. But you know, little things make a really big difference, you know, a really big difference of those little meditations, that choice to not work out and to lay down on the first day of your period. I turned my desk. That was like literally chaos. Like right around my birthday, I got all these beautiful gifts of like Palo Santo and feathers and crystals on my friends that know me. And I turned it into an altar. And every time I sit down to my work, I feel like I now have a devotional space. So it's like, but these little things really matter. Yeah, they definitely do. And like creating the space to understand like what that is, you know, and understanding that that small action that you're taking makes so much of a difference. It does. Going back to that quote of like how we live our days is how we live our lives. Our lives are made up of the small actions that we take every single day. Totally. And that way. And the other thing that I'll say, and I think you'll have something to say here, like just thinking about like the work you do and like creating spaces for women to really understand like the work that has to be done. It's like, we have a long way to go. I mean, like hearing that number 200 years of Mm -hmm. until a woman will actually understand some kind of equality, like that's insane. And that means that we actually don't just need to get that. Like we actually need to be warriors. Oh Yeah. So if we need to be warriors, like what does a warrior do to get ready for battle? You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, we talk about, you know, creating the space to understand what our energies are, where we need to be. But I think it's also about leaning into community and creating space to learn and learn about the facts, learn about the issues 
that are set forth and making your own decisions on how you want to, what does an everyday warrior mean to you? You know, does that mean creating a space to talk to other women about this specific issue? Is it, you know, going out and marching the streets? What is it to you? And everybody has their own thing. With I Will Not Be Quiet, it's really interesting how I Will Not Be Quiet got started. It was about three years ago. I had never been politically active. Despite my platform now and what I do, I had never been politically active until 2016. But when the election happened, Hillary didn't win. Personally, I was devastated and I kind of felt like it was my fault because I felt like I could have done more. And I just assumed that she was, oh, she's going to win. There are people who are doing the work (laughs) who are out there. And I hate to say this, are better qualified to get out the vote. When in reality, it's not about being qualified. It's about, you know, our civic duty to participate in our democracy, right? And I had so many thoughts and so many feelings about it. And I was so scared to talk about it. I felt like I didn't know if my opinion mattered because I didn't know everything about everything. And when I went on social media, it was like the Hunger Games. (laughs) You know, everybody was kind of, you know, pushing out their opinions and getting really upset that because they realized that their friend or their relative was actually had different viewpoints and values. And so with all of this noise and all of the I am a woman, hear me roar and make America great again. The most terrifying thing about it was just the silence. It was the silence of just so many women who, just like me, who didn't feel empowered to speak up, who didn't have a place to go to and ask questions and seek truths and find their own truths. And I contacted a girlfriend of mine who worked in the nonprofit space and I was telling her about my concern and we were like, you know what, let's just get some ladies in the room to talk about it. So we sent out you know, emails to our network. And just like that, the next day, 14 women gathered in my living room for conversation and wine. And while it was turned into kind of like a bitch fest on the State of the Union, it felt so good to get it off our chest and talk about it. And so we just kept going and we wanted to create a safe place for women to come together to confront our fears and a place where questions about political and social issues could actually be asked, like no judgments, all left at the door, a place where women could actually convene and regardless of, you know, what their background was or where they came from and, you know, what their fluency was and politics and the issues, it's just a place for them to actually investigate their own hunches and completely kind of discover their own truths. So it's been three years and every month we meet, we learn from experts and we have hard conversations and we're not a support group. There are chocolates there and there are some tissues, but we're not all about that. This isn't a scene from Jerry Maguire. We are a circle of thinkers and doers and we don't internalize. We're not passive, we're active. And we thrive on the concept that the more that you know, the more that you can do and truly change the tune around you. I love that. That's very powerful. Very, very cool. You should come. I would love to come. That was actually going to be my next thing. I'm like, can you send me an invitation? Yeah, I think it's great and I and so necessary. And I agree with you. I think just in the recent history for myself, like just having people that you can talk to. And like, I think one of the biggest issues, like you said, is the silence or the fear of even admitting if we don't understand something and what ridicule will come. And like, to basically be like, no, it's all good. Like, come here, ask any questions. Let's talk it out. It means that people will then have the confidence to go out and lead and say the things they need to say and do the things they need to do. So it's huge. Yeah. You know, I think like the greatest movements of our time 
civil rights movement, the women's suffrage movement, even like, you know, the greatest innovations of our time all started by bringing people together yeah. in a room to talk about it. Exactly. Somehow we've lost the art of conversation. Somehow, because it's gotten very angry and very divisive and people don't want to be named or defined as any one thing. You know, I think people, someone like myself, like I really pay attention to issues. And so in one conversation, I might sound very liberal, which most of the time, but then there's certain things where I might sound like a little bit more on this side, but it's because of certain things I've seen or experienced. And so mm-hmm. You want to feel safe to be who you are and to talk about certain things in a way that you're not ridiculed. I'm excited because I'm thinking probably around the time that this interview will come out, I'm also coming out with another interview of two amazing women that I like some way, shape or form you need to meet. They have a podcast called Dear White Women and they're one of them lives in California and one of them lives in Colorado and it's a podcast all about activating conversation for women in politics and race and like just getting it out, giving voice. And they are super interesting. So I have a feeling like your interviews may come together around the same time on the podcast. Yeah. Check them out. Wow. Okay. So this is the beginning of many more conversations to come, Adrian. And I have like all these things that I want to tell you about that I'm doing and I want you to come to and all these people I want you to meet. So that means that I'm inspired. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Which is the name of the game. So I know our listeners are probably also very inspired by you. So let them know where they can find you and find Rosie and find any of the other great works that you're doing. Yeah. So a great one-stop destination is Instagram. So you can follow me at Adrian underscore right or Rosie at think.rosie. If you want to learn a bit deeper about Rosie, you can go to our website, which is www.think-rosie.com. Awesome. And what if people are interested and they live in the New York area and they want to be part of one of these living room conversations? Oh my gosh. Yes. They can join. I will not be quiet. Just go on Instagram and it is literally... I will not be quiet. So would love to have you guys there. And if you have any questions about how to start your own talking circle, feel free to reach out. Conversation doesn't start and stop with groups just like I will not be quiet. I think we all have our own kind of group text chain that we have with our friends and family, but there are ways that we can make that come to life. Mm. Well, Adrian, you're awesome. I'm so glad that we finally connected. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of this. There's so much passion and vision. And I love that it's such a fusion of your history and your present and your future. And it's all like really kind of mixing together in the work you do and how you're showing up as a, a woman of the world and a mother. It's very inspiring. And these are the kind of conversations that need to happen, need to be Thank told. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me a platform to share it. Of course. And for those of you that listened today, I'm assuming that you might be thinking about what you're passionate about and what moves you and where you can start to harness your voice. And it's hearing stories like Adrian's where you can see that it's not a straight line. It might be a winding one. The universe might literally knock us on our ass. But if we can listen, then we might find that next way to express what we care most about. And that's the journey. So Adrian, again, thank you for being with us and listeners. Thank you for tuning in and continue to support this podcast. I really deeply appreciate your support. Share these episodes with your friends and family. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and give some love to us over on iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to. 
every little bit of support really helps. And this podcast like gives me so much joy basically. So thanks for hanging out with me. All right, everyone take care and see you next time. Bye.